How's everybody doing? Good. Good. That's better. Good. It's good to see everybody here. Um, welcome to Cross Life. My name's Andy. This is my buddy Tanner. Hi. <laughs> if it's your first time here, um, Chase did a good, really good introduction. Chase, I wasn't sure where you were going with the passage, and then you wrapped it up beautifully. That was a good testimony. Praise the Lord for that. And thanks for, yeah. Um, what we're going to be doing this past semester, what we have done this past semester, is we've been looking at the things in a Christian's life that they should be rooted in. The things that you should know as a believer. The things that you not only should know, but you should know well. You should be founded on. Like, what is scripture? Who is, how do you, what is prayer? And then what we've been doing is we follow up that with the next week or the, the next couple weeks with, okay, if that is rooted in my life and this Christian thing is real and it's effectual, it has an effect, if we're not just talking, then it should show itself because we're not just talking. So we looked at the fruit that what we're rooted in produces, what it looks like from day to day. So that's what we're going to be doing here this evening is the past... I think it's been two weeks we've been looking at the root of one of the most intimate things about God, who he is, his character. This evening, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the fruit. What is that, what is, what good does it do for you to know who God is? What does that look like in your life? What is the fruit of that? It's a little bit different. We're going to do some things a little bit different this evening. You want to explain that? Yeah, as you can see, or if you've been here before, Annie and I usually aren't up here together. You know that two weeks ago I taught on God's communicable attributes, and then last week Andy followed that up with God's incommunicable attributes. But none of us, or neither of us, are up here generally together. But we thought it'd be good as we transitioned into fruit to do something different, not for the sake of doing something different, not to be... Uh, new, but because often we learn better in different ways. And one of those ways is dialogue. And uh, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been around a group of godly men, or if you're a woman, godly women, and you've sat around them and you've listened to their conversation as you watch their life. And as you see, I learn a lot from those times. I learn a lot from teaching times, but we also learn a lot just as we sit and talk about the things of the Lord. So this isn't going to be a coffee in the word sort of deal, but it is going to be a, a time where we dialogue back and forth, and uh, that wasn't a shot against some of you uh, that you're thinking of. But that's the, that's the idea tonight, is just we go back and forth. This is a testimony of who God is, uh, the fruit in our lives and in your lives, and this is a testimony of how Andy and I work together. Andy and I work as a pair, and we feed off of each other in ministry uh, every day, all day, all week. And this is also how some of you guys' community groups are conducted. They're led by a couple people, and so we thought that would be fruitful tonight. We are having coffee afterwards. That's true. <laughs> and um, we're not having pizza. No. What are you no talking pizza. about? <laughs> That's my bad. <laughs> I left that on the announcement like, sheet from yes. before. <laughs> I looked back at Tanner, and he's like, no. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> so, well, let's get into our study this evening. Um, two weeks ago... Um, I was talking to Dan Johnson, and he's like, so I was at a community group, and we were trying to like say the words communicable and incommunicable, and it's like spitting up marbles. But yeah, it's a, kind of one of those Christian words. Um, Tanner will explain what that means in a second. Two weeks ago, we looked at the communicable attributes of God, and what we're going to do is we each picked 
two from what we studied. So, Tanner, I'm going to ask you if you could explain what does communicable and incommunicable mean, and then the first one that you picked. Yeah. Thank you. If you read your New Testament, you don't see communicable and incommunicable. That's why Dan has so much trouble pronouncing them or sounding them out. Uh, But they're helpful categories to think about God in. We don't want to say they're absolute categories or they're perfect categories, but they are categories to help us think. So communicable attributes are going to be those things that God shares or communicates or communes with us in. Uh, His holiness, his truthfulness, his faithfulness. Incommunicable attributes are going to be things that uh, not only are more difficult to understand, but things that we can't relate as easily with God in. Those are things that Andy talked about last week, his sovereignty, the eternality of God, the, the, the omnipotence of God, those sorts of things that are really a little bit outside of our understanding. So true categories, but not perfect categories, helpful ones for sure. You want to do, uh, pick the first one? You bet. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I want to talk to you tonight about holiness. You'll recall a couple of weeks ago, uh, I talked about holiness. And we talk a lot about holiness, it seems like. We spent some time on it this summer. But there's only a few things in the Bible that gets, it says God is. And one of those is God is holy. We know that God is holy. What does it mean that God is holy? God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and devoted to everything that is good. He's devoted to his own honor. In fact, we read in uh, 1 John 1, 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in, in him there is no darkness. And uh, why don't you slip back there and close those doors for us real quick. Somebody who's in the back row there. Yeah, thank you. In him there is no darkness. Now, it's not total darkness in here, but it's pretty dark. Uh, yeah, you got in just in time, buddy. It's... Uh, it's dark in here. In God, there's no darkness. In God, there's no darkness. No darkness dwells in God. Okay, you want to turn those up, Adam, full blast? In God, there's no darkness. There's fullness, light. God is light. In fact, it says in Revelation that there will be no need for sun in heaven because there is light. Quite the contrast, isn't it? Where there's darkness, God cannot and will not dwell. Because darkness is sin and God cannot be a part of it. Uh, We read in the 14th chapter of Zechariah that one day everything will be devoted wholly to the Lord. It will be on the bells of horses and even the pots and pans will be holy to the Lord. But until then, not everything is holy. There's much godliness, ungodliness, much unholiness. So you want to turn those back down, Adam? Thank you. Brian. Thank you. When we look at like... um like when you when we're studying the character of God, like holiness, like um, Tanner is explaining about holiness, um, I think we can get into the um, the practice of uh, talking about things. Like it's fun to talk about God, but what I would ask you, like when you're studying, if you could explain to us how important is it that we understand holiness? Like what does it matter? It's a good question. How important is holiness? It's this important. Hebrews twelve fourteen says this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What does that mean? Without holiness, no one is seeing God. It reminds me of what Jesus says in John 3, 3. No one's going to the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. No one, no one will see God. No one will 
dwell with God without holiness. And we read in places like First Peter, be perfect, therefore, as I am perfect. How do we do that? We can never be perfectly holy. You know that. Uh, we can never be, and even like Andy talks about, every illustration has its shortcoming. We can never be perfectly bright, but when the lights were fully bright in here, there wasn't a lot of shadows. Good thing Hebrews 12.10, in that, near that same passage, it says we may share in his holiness. It's talking there about a son disciplining a father because he loves him. And now we get to share in God's holiness. Holiness should produce, what is the fruit of holiness? What should it produce? It should produce worship. That is, I believe, the end of all things, is worship. We must worship God, and part of why we must worship Him, part of why we get to worship Him, is because of His holiness. And it's manifest in His goodness, it's manifest in our gladness, our thanksgiving, our obedience, our integrity. Those are ways that we worship Him. Psalms 96 verse 9 says this, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. And who can forget, who can forget Isaiah 6? Isaiah goes before the Lord and he is just taken with God's holiness. Isaiah 8.13, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Let him be your trembling. What's the fruit of God's holiness? Fearing God and not man. I struggle with fear of man. I always have him. By God's grace, I feel like he's leading me and compelling me more and more out of that. But let the Lord be your dread and not man. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2 says this, Guard your steps when you go into the house of the Lord. To draw near, to listen, it is better to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Verse 2, Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. How does that apply to your life? Think about the way you pray. Do you pray in reverence before God? Now, I'm not talking about eloquent language, but I'm talking about remembering who you're speaking to. Remembering that you speak to the creator, the sustainer, the one who breathed out stars, the one who spoke this world into existence. That's why we don't go flippantly into prayer. And praise God, because of Christ, we can go uh, to the throne room of grace with confidence, but not flippantly. That's one of the fruits. How's your prayers? Do you joke around in your prayers? I don't think joking, I don't think humor is bad, but be careful as we pray. Um, praise God that we can approach him, but, but do you regard him as holy? Worship. Revelation 15, 4 says this, who will, not, uh, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. You ever catch yourself... Uh, wondering why you're thinking about what you're thinking. Man, how did I get to that thought? <laughs> Sometimes I do that. I'm like, how did I follow the train to figure out how I got to that thought? Can I challenge you tonight? When you get there, think on God. Think on his holiness. When you're tempted to think of nothing, think of God. I'm not even talking about the times where you're necessarily thinking about something bad or sinful. But think on God often, early and often. Think on God. Holiness, obedience. God says to uh, Israel in Leviticus 20, 26, For you shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. What does he mean there? You will look different than everyone else. Do you realize that? That's part of what holiness is. It is separateness, otherness, differentness. 
That's why as a Christian on campus, in the workplace, at NBC, everywhere, you ought to look different. You ought to look separate. God has said, I will pull you out. I will make you holy. I will make you separate. This whole idea of being like the world to reach the world is totally foreign. God says you must be separate. You must be different. Not in difference, but in character. Or not in distance, but in character. We should be in the world. But boy, we ought to look different in it. We ought to be salty. We ought to be salty. Ephesians four twenty-two through 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That says put off. What's old? Put off your old life. If you're born again, put it off. 23, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirits of your mind, or the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in truth and righteousness. The question is, is are there attitudes, are there actions, are there people, are there things that need to be put off? They're from the former manner of life. Imagine it like a cloak, taking off the old self and clothing yourself with the new when you go to work, how's your attitude towards your boss? Is that attitude that needs to be taken off and a new one put on? When you go to sit down to, to study, how's your attitude towards studying? That's a fruit. Do you see what Chase shared tonight? It's a fruit of who God is. Second Timothy 2.19 says this, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. What does that mean? If we name the name of the Lord, if we fly the banner of Christ, we ought to look different. You get the idea yet? I hope so. Let me give you an example. I don't know if this gentleman's here tonight. I won't name him, but I'll give you an example at MSU. Uh, not all of you are at MSU. That's okay, but many of you can relate with this. A young man in the class and his professor said, now I'm going to show a commercial in here. <clears throat> it's from another country. and uh it's got some poor stuff in it, some stuff maybe some of you won't want to see. I don't know. But uh, this is just a fair warning that it's got some nudity, some things in it you won't want to see. And uh, so if any of you want to leave, now you can. As a class of many, many people. And one person got up to leave. Now, if that was you, what would you do in that circumstance? Would you remember that God is holy and you must be separate from sin? Or would you sit? Would you fear man more or would you fear God? Would you stand up and leave or would you sit and indulge? That's a fruit of knowing God. That's a fruit of God's character. Does that make sense to you? Let me get real practical with you. That person on Facebook who keeps posting pictures of things that you don't need to be exposed to, put it off. Are you putting it off and putting on righteousness or are you indulging? Are you taking in those things that you need to see or read or take in? You tracking with me? I know you are. Because you live in the same world I do. Are there activities or relationships that you're in that make it more difficult to obey God's command to grow in holiness? On campus, how are your peer-to-peer relationships? Are you rubbing shoulders with people that will sharpen you? Are you rubbing shoulders with non-believers so you can influence them, so you can love them and pray for them and be salty around them? Close with a couple thoughts on this topic. 2 Corinthians 7 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Bringing holiness. He is holy, we must be holy. First and foremost, positionally, because of Christ, because of his blood. Secondly, in your life. Do you look different, Christian? Do you look bro- different, brother, sister?
What's the application? Worship. Worship demonstrated by reverence, by fear, and by obedience. As you were uh, talking, I was, we, we pray before we meet here, and um, we were praying that like, this group would be, um, would be set apart. The Bible calls us peculiar people. And I was thinking of some of the testimonies that you mentioned, and I thought of another fellow who, who was in a major that required him to do things and watch things and participate in things that he's like, I can't do this as a believer. So what did he do? He switched his major. Would you be willing to do that? Like, that is a testimony of a, a, of a strange man. That's peculiar. That's because we are called to be holy as God is holy. That's intense. Thank you. That was a good testimony. You betcha. Good word for yeah. holiness. Why don't you okay. go back to your lesson. Talk to us about some of your attributes of God. We're going to switch... Um, Last week we talked about the things about the Lord that we don't get. Um, we used the illustration of the AM-FM dial. You can dial all day long on your FM dial, but you will not get 1280. You can, we can think about many of the things of the Lord, and we can write them down and study them and philosophize about them and you know, science and everything we can do to try to explain God, and you will never fully get him. It's a very humbling thing. But some of these things you just, you're not going to get because we are finite. We are in the realm of creature, and God is creator. The, one, the first one that I wanted to pick is that God is, he is something that I would like to claim to be, independent. Totally independent. He's self-sufficient, which is even different than being independent because it's not that he doesn't need anything, but everything, he, everything that he would need comes from within himself. He doesn't have to go anywhere to get anything because he's got it all. He needs nothing. We would like to think we're God-like in this area. We're wrong. First, I want to look at, um, I gave you a definition last week about self-sufficient. God does not need us or the rest of creation. That bothers me. I like to be needed. What is the greatest form of flattery? Imitation. Why is that? Because I like to watch somebody else repeat what I did because then I feel needed. God does not need you. He's not flattered by you. He doesn't need flattery. Um, God does not need the rest of creation for, or anything else, yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts 17.24. And Job 41. Just go ahead and put your You got more than one finger. If you do, put your fingers there. <laughs> Acts 17 and Job 41. Let's learn two things about God in his self-sufficiency, his independence. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And if you'd like to have a study Bible of your own, we have some for you later. We'll talk about that later. Acts 17.24. This is Paul. He goes right to the Acropolis, right where all the philosophers are talking. And he talks about the Lord. And he says, God who made the world and everything in it, 
since he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all breath and all things. God does not need anything. He says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need anything. The second thing is Job 41.11. God says, who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. I have nothing. God doesn't need anything. That's the first thing. And then Job 41 says, and you have nothing to offer him as though he needed it. And we used the illustration last week of you owed me a debt. And so you went into my bank account and you took out even more money than you owed me from my bank account. And you said, Andy, I owe you 50 bucks. Here's 60. And I'm like, that's my money. (laughs) Why are you giving me my money back? That's the point. You have nothing to offer God. Because everything that there is is from him. It's all his already. And then um, within God is perfect perfection, perfect love, perfect communication, perfect relationship within the Trinity. And if there, think about if God needed you. That would be a pathetic God because I am a pathetic man. If God needs Andy, there's weakness in his character. Do you get that? If God needs you, you you know there's weakness in your character. God doesn't need anything. There's perfect, within himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is perfect love, perfect communion, perfect fellowship, perfect love. But yet, it brings him joy to create us. That's kind of where we were last week. Thanks. Appreciate you phoning us in on that. If that's... The definition, and if that's where we were, tell me how that affects the way I live. If, like, I was reading um, some different theology books, and the one thing that as we look at God's incommunicable attributes, um, I was talking to Megan and Michelle. They gave testimony of this, and they said, we were teaching on this in our small group this last week, and, like, people were asking us questions, and we didn't know what to say. That's how it is. When you look at the greatness of the Lord, do you know what your response is? Same as Isaiah, same as John, same as Megan and Michelle, myself, Tanner, you as you look at the Lord, humility. It's humility. The first thing that a man experiences is fear and humility. I, Job says, I don't know you, God, and your years cannot be numbered can't figure you out. I can't put you in a box. Humility. I want to demonstrate to you two ways that you are humbled, that God humbles you. The first one we looked at last week, Job 36, 26. Job says, God is great and we do not know him. And then turn to back a few to Job 33, 4. And it says that from God's breath, all... Do you have that, Tanner? Yep. Could you read that for me? It says, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. 
And then could you read for me 34:14? So our breath is from God. Our life is from God. Okay? He breathes out, you get life. What is 34:14? If he should determine to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath. All and then the next verse too. All flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Do you get that? Like right now you breathe borrowed breath. That's humbling. There was a time when when you had an umbilical cord that attached to your mom. And that's where you got life. That's the way God created you. And then you took your first breath. (gasps) (laughs) That's what my kids do. Borrowed breath. Every single one. And God says, if I wanted to, I'd take it back. And you would be dust. Because it's mine. That's humbling. You're not independent. The second thing is I've been thinking about this all week. I had a good talk with Andy this week about this. Um, Psalms 121.4 says this, that God who watches over Israel does not sleep and he does not slumber. He does not need to sleep. I do. Do you know that one-third of your life you're going to be sleeping? Most of you have already slept seven years I read in the internet, like, I was trying to get some of these statistics, and this guy said, I've already slept so many years. What a waste. You see, um, in our culture, sleep is a bummer. Because think of how productive you could be if you didn't sleep. Think of how much you could get done if you didn't sleep. Do you remember the song, I Can Sleep When I'm Dead? Like, that's our mentality, is that... Um, The people who are looked up to, they rob sleep, and they pay for it. You see, only God doesn't sleep. But the first thing we do when we we try to get ahead or when we start to fall behind is we rob sleep. Do you know what that is? I'll show you what that is. This is humbling. Go to Psalms 127. Verse 2. Underline this. All you students who are going through midterms right now. (laughs) I've almost felt bad talking about this, but I think it's a good thing. It is vain. It is arrogant. It is proud to do what? For you to rise up early. To sit up late. To the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. You see, you need to sleep. I don't mean laziness where you sleep in. Proverbs talks about that. But God, he blesses you with sleep and it's humbling. One third of your life, you're just going to be laying there. And every time you do, remember this. It's because you're nothing like God. The God who watches over Israel, who does not sleep, he does not slumber. People say, Andy, I just want to be humble. You want to practice being humble? Go to bed. Get the sleep that you need. Um, So two things to help you in your humility as you observe God's greatness. The first is realize that nothing you have 
is yours in independence. And the second thing is, is God's the only person who sleeps. <laughs> God is the only person who doesn't sleep. You do. That's a humbling thing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And yeah, I'm reminded of when I was, uh, yeah, when I was little, I was always scared to go to bed. And uh, I read that after so many days, I would die if I didn't go to sleep. What a humbling thing. <laughs> it's humbling to think, you know how you are in uh, life or ministry or work when you <clears throat> think that someone is dependent on you and so they need you and uh, you can't rest because you've got to go see them or tend to them. That's what I've had that talk with you about ministry. Neither Andy or I are so important that uh, someone that God needs us to do his labor. He's pleased to use us, though. Thanks for sharing that. We thought it'd be neat tonight to, uh, to have a testimony from not us, but from someone else. And so we've asked Adam tonight to uh, share a testimony based on who God is and what he's done in his life lately, uh, just how the character of God has affected him. So, Adam. Let me steal your stool. Hi, I'm Adam. Um, <clears throat> so a few weeks ago, uh, I was asked to speak on my experience at the Fall Advance. And I mentioned I'd been dealing with a medical thing um, <clears throat> that I needed to be praying about. And uh, so a little bit more on that. I, back in November 2007, I was told I had a problem. that would be quick fix, one surgery, three to four month healing process. Now, five years later and four surgeries, it's still not healed. And it's a bummer. <laughs> but through that, God has been teaching me so much. Um, He's been teaching me patience. He's been giving me opportunities to talk with the doctors and the nurses and staff up at the hospital about why I'm going to Bible college, why I believe the things I do, who God is, why I read the Bible, why I go to church, that type of stuff. But the most important thing I've learned, and the reason I'm speaking tonight is because the attribute, the character of God in his faithfulness in our lives is so great and has been so, wow, this got louder, it's been so powerful and um, <laughs> in just the past few years that like, I just feel compelled to share. And so I thank Tanner and Andy for letting me do this. Um, there's, it's, it's been a long road. Like, there's been medical setbacks. And I've had to go through four surgeries on this, and it's a pain. But God hasn't left. And we look at the Old Testament, we can see over and over again, God makes promises to his people, and he always fulfills them. He always comes through in the clutch. Um, with Abraham, with the Israelites, with David, with the kings and prophets, he always came through for them. He was always faithful. And he keeps telling his people that. And so it's, to me, it's like if God keeps saying something over and over again, it seems like it should be true. You know? So I take that to heart. And we see in the New Testament, Paul in Second Corinthians is talking about his thorn in the flesh and how he says, God told him, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Like, I can do so much more through you when you're weak. And, and Paul just took great faith in that, knowing that God always had his back. And he writes to the Philippians that he has confidence that God is going to be faithful to complete the work that he has started in him and in them. And he has faith in that, too, just that God will never leave. Moses writes in Deuteronomy that God will never leave the Israelites or forsake them. And I think that's a promise we can take to ourselves, too. And so, <clears throat> I don't know, it's kind of a communicable attribute. It was like marbles. But, <laughs> but um, 
it's cool because God has promised to finish what he's doing in us. And in Romans 8, 28, Paul writes that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, that we may be conformed to the likeness of his son. And I think that's the most important part of that verse is the ultimate good that can come from everything that we experience in life is that we become more like Christ. And God will finish it. Like, <clears throat> so even though this physical problem of mine isn't going away anytime soon, hopefully it will, but it, it seems not. I had a big setback today with it, but it's all right. Because I know through this, if I stay according to him and rooted in him, a root in his faithfulness, that he won't leave. He gives me hope <clears throat> in the circumstances. You can get up each day and be like, Right, God's going to be faithful to me today. So that's kind of what I've been learning. I have a verse, and I wrote it down. It's uh, Lamentations three twenty-one through 25. And it says, But this I call the mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him and to the soul who seeks him. I just think it's important, <clears throat> and when Tanner asked me this, I was like, well, I'm glad I can share. It's, it is important to be reminded day after day of his faithfulness, and what that means for us is that we do have hope that no matter what we're going through right now, whether it be hard or easy, <clears throat> difficult, whatever, like, it will get better. God's never going to leave you. He always has our back. And so, that's kind of what I have. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, I was talking to Adam last week over here, right after we were done looking at the character of God. Um, where are you at right now? I don't think it matters where you were at as a person. You were either doubting or believing something about the character of God. If you're not, if you're like, I don't believe in God, then you doubt that He is true. Adam, I appreciated his testimony because he is believing. In faith, something about God, he is faithful. And uh, I just want to thank you for your testimony. Um, I think that we, it would be good to, let's just pause for a second. I want to pray for you, buddy. And uh, especially after today, Lord, to comfort you. Lord, it's been, um, it's good to get to meet Adam and hear his testimony from, about your faithfulness. Lord, I also remember other things about you, that you are a comforter and that you're a healer. And Lord, thank you for being all these things and more, Lord. Thank you for Adam being willing to give testimony, Lord, to your greatness. Um, your name, amen. Why don't we uh, continue? What we're going to do is uh, I'm going to ask you to share another one, another one of God's communicable attributes. So which one? what was the other one you picked? One we're going to talk about now is uh, God's peace or God's order, the fact that God is ordered. I appreciate that testimony. And one of the things Andy and I talk about sometimes it made me think of is uh, so often we get a prayer request and it's just that that person would be healed from their illness, right? But Adam brought out the light that, yeah, let's pray for that. Let's pray they'd be healed, but let's also pray that they're conformed to the image of Christ in that. appreciate that. God's peace and order. First Corinthians fourteen thirty three says this. 
God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is not a God of confusion, but he is a God of peace. He's the God of peace. Romans 15.33 says this, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I want you all to, uh, I want you to put your head down for just a second. Everybody put their head on the pew in front of them. <clears throat> Except for you, Nico. Nico, you stand up and turn around and look. Is it peaceful in here right now? Yeah. Go ahead, sit down. Look back up at me. From my perspective, it looks peaceful up here. You can look back at me now. <laughs> it looks kind of peaceful. But peacefulness doesn't necessarily apply, imply inactivity. I have to be careful. Andy said in Psalms 121, verse 4, God neither, neither sleeps nor slumbers. So when I say that God is a God of peace or order, that's what I mean is not that God just sits. It's not that God is inactive. It's not that he has his head on the pew in front of him. It's not as Nico stood up and looked, it was quiet in here and it was silent, but there's nothing happening. That's not necessarily what it means that God is a God of peace or rest or order. God's peace means that God in his being and in his actions is separate from all confusion and disorder. Yet he is constantly active in all that happens. That is to say God is perfectly ordered. He is perfectly peace and order in all that he does. I like your illustration of God is not just sitting there with his head on a pew. Because like as a parent, that's what I want my kids to do sometimes. Is I just want them to be good. Just sit still and put your head down. <laughs> that's not a good thing for me to desire for my kids. Peace and order is, but not that peace and order. So what does it matter to a believer? Uh, just a little interjection there. That's good. That's great. <laughs> what does it matter to a believer to know about that God is peace and order? Rhett's not peaceful? No. <laughs> yeah, it matters a lot. It matters a lot. In fact, uh, it matches right up with what Paul says. Why don't you open your Bibles and turn to Philippians 4, verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. If I wanted to have peace, I'd have a, like a little girl. <laughs> it's out of your control. <laughs> you can keep trying. Um, <laughs> Philippians 4, verse 9. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of all peace be with you. So Paul goes through a list. And he says, back in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, uh, good repute or honorable, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, dwell in these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So as Paul goes through this letter, he says, everything that you've learned, everything that you've watched in me, take those things in. You receive them, you've heard them, now do what? What's it say? Practice them. Put them into practice and the God of all peace be with you. The God of all peace be with you. So what does it mean that God is peace and order? And how does that affect the way we live, act, think? Paul chooses to use a word here, akatasia, akata, akatastasia, sorry, akatastasia. And it's a, it contrasts disorder or uh, confusion or unrest. God is none of those things. 
word even sounds a little bit like confusion or unrest, probably because I didn't say it right. God is none of those things. God is perfectly ordered and organized. God is not a confusion, God of confusion or unrest. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, paints this uh, picture for us. He's talking about a falsified view of God. He says, many of us think of God nervously pacing back and forth in heaven before his throne, twiddling his thumbs and wondering what he's going to do about the mess that his love has got him in and his justice seems to be able to get him out of. God's nothing like that. Rather, he's seated confidently on his throne, knowing and seeing all that is happening, perfectly in control of all those things. God is a God of peace and order. He's not worried. He's not concerned about the course of things. He's known it far before time. This is how I often feel. And uh, that's why this was one of the most convicting things for me to study. As I studied this, I had to ask myself again and again, is my life a life of peace and order? Or am I running about in disarray? Turn to Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. And look at with me at verse 22. So he gets done with the whole chapter here, and then he says this. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. And then turn over to uh, chapter 57, just a little bit farther on. This is a theme in Isaiah, as we're about to see. Isaiah 57, verse 21. You read that for me, Andy. There is, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. Who's the wicked? Those who are outside of God, outside of Christ Jesus. So there's no such thing as true peace for someone who is outside of Christ. Does that make sense to you? Contrast that with this, Isaiah 59, verse 8. Or add on to that this, Isaiah 59, 8, says this, The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. No one who treads on them knows peace. There is no peace for the wicked. Strong words, isn't it? If God is a God of peace, and there is no peace for the wicked, there is no peace for those who walk in darkness. Think about this. If I was, uh, God is a God of order. Many of you grew up with Legos. If I was to take my box of Legos that I had as a kid and throw them out on the aisle in front of you, it would be disorder. It would be scrambled. Now think of if I was to spend, not much of a builder, but think of if I was to spend all day intricately making something beautiful up here. Not with Legos, maybe it was something. Uh, if I was to build, I go in those architecture buildings on campus and I see things that people have spent days and days and hours and hours on. Disarray, disorder, no peace, perfectly ordered. God is perfectly ordered in everything that he does. But he says there's no peace for the wicked. This is so different from the inner peace that the world talks about. So different from uh, the want and the need for peace. It's an it's a ignorant form of peace. If you say... If someone says they're in peace outside of God, it's just a veiled peace or an or a unreal peace. Oftentimes, uh, maybe you've heard this, uh, even a believer will say if, they, if, they're, if they're misunderstanding things, boy, I've got peace in doing this. You ever hear that? 
A woman said, I got peace divorcing my husband. I know it's okay. I have peace about it. There is no peace in sin. There is no peace in wickedness. Peace is opposite wickedness. God is opposite disorder and unrest. The first way it applies is if God is a God of peace, all peace outside of him is only a false reality. And until you're born again, you don't know real peace. God's peace means that in God, in God's being, his actions, and in his actions, he's separate from all confusion and disorder. So if you're outside of Christ, you're an enemy with God. That's what the Bible says. And there's no peace in being an enemy with God. However, if you're still in Isaiah, look at chapter 54, verse 11. Chapter 54, verse 11. Will you read that to me, Andy, when you get Isaiah 54, 11? Yeah, thank you. O you afflicted ones, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. Yeah. Those who are storm-tossed and thrown about, God will comfort them. He will plant them in. He will sustain them. So do you have peace with God? Or let me ask you another way. Have you been born again? Do you know what true peace is with God? Is the fruit of peace a reality in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Is that a fruit in your life? This comes from a wholehearted remembrance and reliance on the truth that God is all that he says he is. He can be trusted and so I can live in peace in my circumstances. It may not look like ease. It may not look like comfort. It may not look like inactivity. But it can be peace. I saw a bumper sticker two days ago. And it said, peace now. I just want to tell you that there's, no, there's never going to be true, real peace outside of peace in God, peace in Christ Jesus. This is especially pertinent as I spend time on campus and weekly and run into people. Christians' li- lives should reflect this. What's the most common response you get from people when you ask how they're doing? A- Andy, what is it? Busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy too. Me too. We are. <laughs> and it's okay to, to have a lot going on. But is your life a life of peace? When people ask you how you're doing, is the fruit of peace evident in your life? I ask that because that's a hard question for me. When I ask so many of you how you're doing, your answer is busy. Boy, I'm busy. I got a lot going on. I'm tired. I'm studied. I'm, I'm busy. Yeah, but are you at peace? Are you resting? Do you know what it means to rest in Christ? He is peace. Ask yourself as you reflect on God's peace in life tonight, uh, spiritually, mentally, physically, are you resting? People ought to be marked by an order in their life, not a disarray, not a franticness running from here to here to here. Recall in reading in Jim Elliott's uh, biography, him just being tired and worn out, but him being cautious or careful not to look run down or pitiful or tired, almost like the Pharisees. Remember when they were fasting, they would, uh, they would look tired or worn out or frail so they would get attention. Jimmy said, I don't want to do that. You know why? Because I don't want people to think I have a mean master. I want people to know my master is kind. He's good. When people see your life, do they see... There's a guy who's living, there's a gal who's living under a good master, a good Lord. 
where they see someone who's run down, barely hanging on. I know I've been there. That's why this is convicting for me too. Not, I'm not talking about a military straightness, always being chipper, always feeling like you're on top of the world. I am talking about a sense of joy and peace in your life. How are your relationships with family members or extended family? Are they in order? Is there peace? How about your church life? How about your life with family members? Are you consistent? Are you living a life of order? Or are you in disarray? Are you just showing up once in a while when you have nothing else to do? Yeah, how does your life look? Does it exhibit God's peace? Are you resting in God? Is there order in your life that would reflect the Lord's? I was thinking of it as um, a testimony of a, or like a test of proof that you have what you're talking about, peace, and then reflecting back on the other character attribute of God. Um, the person who has peace sleeps. He gives his beloved sleep. The person who does not have peace, what's the first thing you do? You're anxious. You're up at night. I got this done. Oh, you're laying in bed. Oh, I forgot about that. How are you doing? Do you have peace? Are you sleeping? <laughs> Do we have time for more? You bet. Okay. Why don't you go back to one of yours and tell okay. us about it again? Yeah. We're, yeah, we're running short on time, but we'll do one more. Let's look at um, God is eternal. Another incommunicable attribute that I cannot comprehend. Um, let me give you some some scriptures that talk about where God reveals this about himself. The definition we looked at last week is God has no beginning. He has no end or succession of moments in his own being. He sees all time equally vivid, yet God sees events in time and acts in time. God doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't go. He is. He doesn't grow. He is. He doesn't, doesn't anything. He is. He's eternal. You don't know anything like that. Everything that you know gets older, grows bigger. It changes. God doesn't change. He is eternally the same. Job thirty six twenty six. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him. We looked at that. The second half of that is, nor can the number of his years be discovered. Do you know why the number of his years can't be discovered? Because any number can be searched. Even big numbers we can look at. But with God, there's no counting. How many years is God? There's no numbers. He is. Is he bigger than a billion, Dad? No, he, he just is. He is I am, <laughs> The first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. His years can't be discovered, Job says. David says in Psalms 90, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. David says, Before the mountains and before that your framework of like hills and stuff, you go as far as you can that way. Are you ready? Go ahead and give me that, that sheet of paper. You go as far as you can that way, and you go as far as you can that way. That's God. We're going to do a, a very poor illustration of eternal, because when you, you can't illustrate 
You can't illustrate incommunicable attributes. They always have a fallacy someplace. Does anybody have a black pen or anything? Do you have one? Thanks. Anybody have a marker instead? Do you? Klein saucer. Does anybody have a Sharpie? Like a fat? No, I'm just kidding. This will work. Are you si- No, I'm kidding, dude. I'm fine. You know, at first I was hoping to... L- I had a... This is the story behind this. I had a piece of twine that was like Baylor twine that was like really long and it would go the whole way around. Tanner's like, oh, don't worry about that. Matt's got a piece of paper that will go at least that long, which illustrates my point. You can't find anything to illustrate God. Like David says, before the mountains were formed, okay, here's time. Here is the beginning, Genesis 1. Here's from everlasting, the end of time. David says, that's where, that's where God is. As far that way as you can look. As far that way as you can look. And if I could, I would get Matt to bend around like a horizon so I couldn't even see. Hey, there you go, what I'm talking about. Get you to bend over there. And you know what we do? Here we are, right here. Now here's Adam, here's Noah, and Abraham, and David, and Jesus, and, and Adam, for real. And we get locked in, and we're like, oh, I wonder what, who I'm going to marry. God, do you care about these things? And we get all wound up. David says, don't you know? God is from everlasting to everlasting. He doesn't live within this time. Get this. Time lives within him. Think about that. God doesn't live in here. Time's in him. Paul cleared it up. For in him we live and move and have our being. God doesn't go there. He is there. God doesn't go to see Noah. He is there. And David, he is there. And Christ, he is there. He sees all equally vivid at one time. That's an incredible testimony of who he is currently, unchangeably. You guys can roll that up. Or, or just lay it down. We were, and then Matt Tex is like, wait a second, we have four more. We could staple them all together. It still wouldn't work. It still would be an incomplete illustration. Let me throw this back. Okay. Fruit. What's the fruit? Thank you, guys. How does knowing that God is eternal, why does that matter? Why does it matter that God's eternal? It doesn't. If it was only that he was eternal. But you see, I th- I, like I was picturing eternal as kind of the measurement of all of his attributes. How long will you be holy, God? Eternally. How long will you be just? Eternally. How long will you be good? Eternally. I wanted to look at one. 
We'll do a hybrid here. Eternally sovereign. God, how sovereign are you? I think we wrestle with this. Are you in, how could you, how could you let that happen? People will say, well, God wasn't in that. You're going to have a hard time supporting that biblically. Let me give you some biblical definitions of how sovereign God is eternally. Job 16.33, the lot, you know what a lot is? is gambling, pretty much. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You know what God is communicating to us? I am in control of even the little things that you see as random. I'm in control of the little things that you see as chance. They're not chance to me, God says. I orchestrated it. What about Job 28, 24 through 6? He looks to the ends of the earth. He sees under the whole heaven to establish a weight for the wind and a portion the waters by measure, you can only come this far, he says to the ocean, and a path for the thunderbolt. Do you realize that, I think about this and I see lightning. God sends every bolt out and tells it where to strike, even when you don't like it. That's how sovereign he is. R.C. Sproul says that God is sovereign over every, mole- over every atom. Over every single atom, God is sovereign. Because what if he wasn't? Then he wouldn't be sovereign by definition. Sovereign is sovereign control. God is eternally sovereign over all that he has created. And if there is one thing that he is not sovereign over, one area, one room, one person, one atom, then he's not sovereign. And over that little Adam, there is its own little God. And God is no longer sovereign over that, not completely sovereign. But he is in control of it all. What does that matter? What is the fruit that that should produce in your life when you know that God is sovereign? Let's look at a few. Psalms 139, 15 through 16. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to skim and read the end. I love this right here. I wrote this down in a little card. I think about this. And it says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Before you were born, today was already old news to God. It was already written down. Can you believe that? Even what you're going to do tomorrow is old news to the Lord. God says, I already wrote it in a book. I'm sovereign. That, to a believer, should bring you comfort. To the person who knows the other character attributes of God, that's comforting. Let's keep going. That's why James 1 you can say this, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, it's got to finish its course. Why, God? Why do I have to go through this? I'll tell you why, Andy. 
So I, because I am making you mature and complete, and you will not lack anything. I'm in control, Andy. I wrote all your days in a book. But God, I don't like this day. No, there's not. Maybe this won't be the last day. Remember, I'm eternal. I'm, you are eternally mine. That's good news. Let's keep going. It should bring you joy in trials. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. The Christian who believes that God is sovereign, he knows that God is sovereign, does not need to fear the things of life. What's going to happen to you? What job are you going to get? Should I switch my majors? Who should I marry? Where should I live? Don't worry about it. God is sovereign. Your days are wrote in a book. Just trust him. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food? There's more than life than eating, believe it or not. And the body more than clothing? You don't need to worry about your needs. God, what am I going to wear? What am I going to look like? Do people like the way I look? Who cares? You are loved by an everlasting father. What is that verse that that lady shared about? God is my husband. He is Isaiah 64. God is my husband. He is my creator. Oh, that's good. Don't worry about it. Let's keep going. Look at the birds. The air. For they neither sow nor reap. They don't gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You're more valuable than birds. Do you know what a fruit of a person who trusts in a sovereign, eternal God is? Look at the birds. Rest. Contentment. You don't need to grow anxious about things. You should have peace, right? You should sleep. You should sleep well. You don't need to worry. I love this verse, um, Luke twelve thirty two. Don't fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I want to close with um, the illustration of Job. Job is such a good illustration. Job got it. You see, Job put his faith in the Lord. And for a time in life, the Lord gave Job many good things. And Job trusted him. And Job had the Lord. And then for a time, Job, God put into Job's life very hard things. And Job put his trust in the Lord. And Job had the Lord. And his wife said, what are you thinking? And he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If, how can I curse God Take my faith and throw it. Don't you know that I've still got God? We don't follow God for the gifts. We follow the giver. The gifts are, they're good, but they're nothing compared to the giver. Knowing the giver of the gifts is the point. Not getting the gifts, because God may choose to take them. But pity the man, pity the man who the gifts are taken or the gifts are given and he has not God. That wasn't Job. 
And the Lord blessed him. Do you know the character of God? Do you know God? Let him, uh, I'll wait in that verse. We'll share it later. Let's close with that right there for time. Thanks, brother. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the good news of who you are. Thank you that you are eternally sovereign, that you're a God of peace and order, that you're a God who's immeasurable, and uh, that you're a God who's infinitely holy. May these things cause us to worship and to rest and to have peace and to, uh, to be humble creatures, Lord. Help us to apply these things well. Help us to love you more as a result of these things, we ask. In the precious name of Christ, amen.